Got Jacques here on the Last Dance podcast and YouTube video, and I'll be back in New York this uh, coming weekend at the Climate Strike. I always, I always like being in Manhattan. It's, it's a little, very exciting to me. I always feel uh, very much at peace there. I'm the only person I know who can sit in the middle of Times Square and get very zen about things. I could just sit there and just soak it in. I absolutely have no anxiety when I'm there. I don't know why that is. Anyway. Now, Climate Strike, want to let everyone know here, uh, as we get underway today, that I'll be broadcasting live, or live streaming, I like to say broadcasting live. It takes me back to the days when I was in radio, but oh well. Um, I think I'm over-modulating a little bit there, so we'll turn it down. Another old radio term. But uh, we'll do this on YouTube. So I'm going to be live streaming on YouTube. We're going to go live. And if everything goes as planned, um, I can hopefully get close enough and bring you some of Greta Thunberg's uh, address to the crowd at the climate strike in lower Manhattan. And that will be Saturday afternoon. I plan on getting into the city around noonish. We're going to check our bags and we're going to get on the, uh, the train and see how fast I can get there and get, get set up. I'd be bringing a, um, one of those poles you can put your phone on, you know. And I hope the NYPD doesn't consider it a weapon of any kind. Uh, so hopefully I won't have any problem with that. And hopefully we can witness some history, uh, you and I together live. So what I want a couple things I want to talk about today. Um, one a little bit more on the whole idea of me being in New York. And I mentioned this uh, on my on my uh, Facebook site, um, approaching oblivion. And the links to everything I do are going to be in the uh, are always on the uh, YouTube and the podcast um, pages. I would say. So if you're a doomer, why are you going to climate strike? If you're someone that believes this is all for nothing, and that's a fair question. I I guess there are two ways of of talking about or explaining why I want to be there. The first is that it's history. It is the collective action of people who are getting together to try and do something, to try and change the world. As futile as I may think that may be, I have nothing against people doing what they can do and what they feel is right to get together and try and, and turn the ship around in terms of the climate. Um, and I think this is a good and noble thing to do. And I think as we chronicle these times, that we, this is something that we 
record. This is something that we um, make sure to put out there to get in the record that, you know, far from just standing around waiting for the end, there were people who, and this is my second point, decided that even if it was all in vain that they were going to go down fighting. And to me, that is what I think is the good and noble thing about all of this. In the end, I think it's probably too late. I, I, I think the evidence is, is, is there for people who care to look for it. But I'd rather see people go down fighting for their lives, for the planet. And I don't think being a, a so-called quote-unquote doomer precludes hoping and rooting for people uh, who are willing to fight. And that's why I'm going to be there. It's history that deserves to be chronicled. And it's a movement that deserves our support. Even if our support is, is just from the head and heart and nothing tangible, it deserves our support. All right, let's take a little break here because apparently I need to get I need to get my whistle wetted. Music of my life, Eddie Money, seventy years old, passed away, and I think this is probably my favorite song. You know, Eddie Money also at one time was in the New York Police Department cadet program. He came from a family of cops. And if it weren't for the music career, who knows? He might have been trolling the mean streets of the little South Bronx, I don't know. But a lot of memories to a lot of these songs when I was in high school, college, young adulthood, so thought I'd give him a little bit of a do today here on my podcast. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back here on Last Dance with Keith Gottschalk. Everybody here back on Last Dance. Keith Gottschalk with you, and there was a, um, a a major event, I guess uh, you would call it, in the um, climate science media and the uh, the literati in general. They kind of combined here. 
Jonathan Franzen, the novelist, wrote a piece in The New Yorker. And it was called, What If We Just Stopped Pretending? And it wasn't really thematically, it was a little choppy, because here's, here's Franzen basically saying, well, you know, don't think we're going to make it here climate-wise, but um, my people are going to start a garden, and you know, maybe we'll get through it, and you know, we'll have a garden, it'll be at the end, and there'll be something worth preserving. And, you know, that's nice. It just, it just seemed a, a, a bit to me like Franzen was um, trying to have it both ways. I'm going to link to both of the stories I'm going to talk about. Well, it's that climate scientist Kate Marvel for the edge, literally. And she landed up um, writing an essay for Scientific American, which got me to comment on it on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter, and the links will be there. And which got me into a little tiff with another climate scientist who came to her defense. And on the Facebook site where I posted Kate's story. Um, we had an interesting discussion there, so what was the controversy? Well, it's it's basically starts with the title of Kate Marvel's essay, Shut Up, Franzen, and she took great umbrage at any suggestion by the novelist that we were doomed and nothing could be done about climate change. And I've got bits and pieces here. I don't want to read the whole thing, obviously. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I guess my problem with Kate Marvel is that there's no doubt that she knows she knows her business when it comes to client, climate science. Uh, she works at Columbia and the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies. She received her doctorate in theoretical physics from Cambridge, worked at Stanford Laboratory, the, or excuse me, Stanford University, the Carnegie Institution, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and so on and so on. And she's uh, given talks at comedy clubs, prisons, and of course she had a TED Talk, which is sort of the, I don't know, I guess you get crowned as having arrived when you get your own TED Talk. But what she doesn't understand and... I was uh, heartened that a number of people also said they agreed with me on this. She doesn't understand sociology, economics, human nature, what have you. But the other thing was the theme of just the tone of this was, was offensive. In his piece, one of the things, Franz, and I'm, I'm referring to paper here, I'm not even doing this on on the screen because I cannot do that the way I, I, I'm, I'm old school so I'd like to have printouts and I think part of it was that Franzen rep, uh, refer, referenced the IPCC's research described last month in Scientific American of course the one of the outlets that Kate writes for and maybe they told her go go get them and she went and got them but Franzen writes that climate scientists far from exaggerating the threat have underestimated its pace and severity, which is what I've seen, said on a number of occasions here. Uh, 
when a scientist predicts a rise of 2 degrees Celsius, she's merely naming a number about which she's confident the rise will be at least 2 degrees. It might be, in fact, far higher. As a non-scientist, I do my own kind of modeling. Mrs. Franzen again. I run various future scenarios through my brain. Okay. I don't know, again, if, if, if Kate Marvel was thinking this was aimed at her, but um, in her particular um, response to this, she also said that she runs climate projections through her brain as well. And it was like, this is unbecoming of a scientist. I, I, first of all, those who don't believe as you are told to, to shut up. And then you make it personal between yourself and a novelist. He has a right to his opinion the same way that I do or anybody else does. And you're probably saying, well, Keith, what gives you any, any credibility? Well, I'm tr I've, I've, I've been a journalist pretty much all my life, which makes me a generalist. Now, I certainly am not going to claim to be an expert in anything. But one of the things a good journalist always does is their homework they want to talk or write about something, they research it. You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a novelist. I'm a guy with a microphone with a, a decades of experience in journalism and in talk radio. So, and you know, of course, I have this this interest in climate science. Excuse me a second. Mm. I also have dry mouth, which is the bane of my existence. Uh, one of the things that um, that Kate Marvel says that um, she constructs the whole her particular thesis by basically talking about all of the horrible things that she knows about. Combustion, she writes, setting fire to long dead plants and animals, liberating the never used energy stored in their fossilized corpses is a convenient way to power an industrial society. It's not a just a convenient, let me stop there. It's not just convenient. It is the most efficacious way this whole thing our whole existence modern everything runs on oil you talk about renewals renewals can never hope to have the efficacy of fossil fuels period okay and she writes adding a heat trapping gas to the atmosphere makes it hotter we have done so we are not slowing down humans have emitted more carbon dioxide during my lifetime than all the years of civilization that came before indeed she writes, when we pass the two-degree limit, as we certainly will, without immediate action, we will receive no warning sign. Things will carry on much as before. A frog in the pot can ignore the alarm and carry on boiling. It is not in the nature of frogs to heed such warning signs. She makes the frog thing, frog analogy, twice. And it, she apparently doesn't, doesn't know her zoology because frogs do not allow themselves to be boiled in a pot. They will jump out, but again, that's just something else to consider. She writes, their feedback process is to consider things change in a warmer world, and these changes can turn, can in turn warm the world, which changes things and on and on on a vicious spiral toward unimaginable danger. That's not exactly what feedback processes are. And I, I think maybe she's trying to make it simple so people can understand, but feedback processes are the things that happen in a world that's warmed up that supercharge other climate changes and i know she didn't give any examples <clears throat> pardon me but it, when the oceans warm they 
I, you know, I don't want to get in the weeds here. Let's just let's just say that feedback mechanisms are things that, when they happen, affect other climate change processes and turbocharge them. Okay. And she says they're not switched on at an arbitrary time. And then she gives this example at the end. The Arctic has lost more than a million square miles of sea ice in my lifetime. The loss of this reflective cover exposes absorbent ground below, warming the planet even more. That's, yeah. That is feedback. It is not a surprise. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. It's not a surprise. And there are a lot of feedbacks. And then she, this is the point where she, she says, I run models through my brain. I check them with the calculations I do on a computer. This is not optimism or even hope. Now listen. Even in the best of all possible worlds, I cannot offer the certainty of safety. Doom is a possibility. It may be that we have already awakened a sleeping monster that will in the end devour the world. It may be that the very fact of human nature, whatever that is, forecloses any possibility of concerted action. She just destroys her whole argument right there. Again, pardon me for the water break. Because that's what she doesn't understand. And then, the last part. But I am a scientist, Kate Marvel writes, which means I believe in miracles. Miracles, Dr. Marvel, are for clerics, not for scientists. And I don't, I'm, I'm going to skip the rest of, of the gobbledygook. But I would ask her, who is this, who? who is going to suddenly stop Western civilization and all of its economic engines. Stop it on a dime, as a matter of fact, and convert the human race to what? No one has really specified how a planet of over 7 billion people is going to survive without industrial agriculture. Of course, we won't survive with industrial agriculture because that provides a lot of the feedback mechanisms which are turbocharging global climate change. We won't also survive without the industrial production that have made our lives what they are either. And we won't survive with it. The power that runs the world, oil, our whole civilization is built on it. How does this we, the people who are benefiting and profiting from the system, force the world to commit mass suicide? And so that brings up another concept that I want to get into a little bit here. Just a little bit and then we'll go back to this. It's called Ecofascism or ecofascism, depending on how you want to want to say it. And what it is is a theoretical political model in which an authoritarian government would require individuals to sacrifice their own interest to the organic whole of nature, and which would rely on individual. Excuse me, which would rely on militarism and expansionism. This term is also used as a rhetorical pejorative to undermine the environmental movements in, in the United Kingdom and has been used to describe far-right efforts to gain influence within the Green Party of England and Wales. Some writers have used it to refer to the hypothetical danger of future dystopian governments. Um, just understand another part of this is the consideration of the first world's needs only. People in Africa... People in Asia, in India, can starve and die by the millions. They're the ones under ecofascism that are expected to sacrifice because of their life. They are not our lifestyle. Our lifestyles, which really are turbocharging the whole event. But if you're going to get into asking governments to dictate 
how this is going to go down. This is what you're going to have. You're going to have ecofascism. And it's simply not a proper, it's not, it's not, and I hear a lot of this already out, out there in the ecology community and the climate change community of people are going to have to be made to do this and people are going to have to be forced to do that without understanding what's going to be needed to force people to do that. How many people are going to die? Okay, where they, yeah, you know. So it, it, it's, it's something that I'm pointing out here. If we had 50 years or more and the will to do it as a planet, not just as Americans or Britons or Russians or Chinese or Indians, it might, we might have been able to transform human society. We don't have 50 years. It should have happened 40 years ago, and it is too late. Again, that is my opinion. You are welcome to disagree, but I think it's much too late. And you have her and you have David Wallace Wells, who wrote The Uninhabitable Planet, who I heard on the radio the other day, who construct these literally doomsday scenarios that they put out in front of everybody. In, 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 in Wallace Wells' case, it's to sell books, which is fine, to get people to take action, which is fine. But then when they're interviewed by the major media or somebody comes out and says, well, what you've constructed, this, this model you've constructed, obviously guarantees that we're not going to make it because governments are going to change, business is going to change, and human nature being what it is, we will not change either. And then they back off and say, well, and I heard Wells on MSNBC, excuse me, I'm getting into it, uh, basically tell the interviewer who said your book scares to hell. No, 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 no. Well, there's still time. We can do this. We can do that. We can do this, that, and the other thing. Oh, thank you. Oh, you can't have it both ways, folks. If you're going to construct a scenario that posits the end of the world, but you say, despite all this, if we perform this certain set of, of miracles, these economic miracles, these sociological miracles, these these things that human nature has never done before, then we could stop this. And we have to do it within, I don't know, next 11 years, next 9 years, next 7 years. It's like trying to turn the Queen Mary around and dry it up. It's not going to happen. But one of the things, and I just trying to wrap this up because I know we're going a little long. Um, Franzen, if you really read his article, is just simply using what he's learned from these climate scientists. He, and he talks a little bit about feedback mechanisms and, you know, what he, the conclusions that he and a lot of intelligent people draw. You know, he says, I apply the constraints of human psychology and political reality. Take note of the relentless rise in global energy consumption. Thus far, the carbon savings provided by renewable energy has been more than offset by consumer demand. And count the scenarios in which collective action averts catastrophe. These scenarios, which I draw from the prescriptions of policymakers and activists, share certain necessary conditions. The first is that every one of the world's major polluting countries institute draconian conservation measures, shut down much of its energy and transportation infrastructure, and completely retool its economy. And then he makes the point that making New York City a green utopia will not avail if Texans keep on pumping oil and driving pickup trucks. Second. Mm. 
and I'm just going to skip ahead to the last one. Franzen writes, finally, overwhelming numbers of human beings, including millions of government-hating Americans, need to accept higher taxes and severe curtailment of their familiar lifestyles without revolting. They must accept the reality of climate change and have faith in the extreme measures taken to combat it. They can't dismiss news as they, they, as they dislike as fake. They have to set aside nationalism, class, and racial resentments. They have to make sacrifices for distant threatened nations and distant future generations. They have to be permanently terrified by hotter summers and more frequent natural disasters rather than just getting used to them. Every day, instead of thinking about breakfast, they have to think about death. As my favorite teacher in high school said, figure the odds. Marvel really doesn't address this. She just says she believes in miracles. Well, that's nice, Kate. Again, miracles are for clerics, not scientists. I'd like to believe in miracles. I really would. I'm not, I'm not, none of this makes me happy. But here's the thing. She gets on Franzen for being, for being a doomer. He does not say give up and do nothing. This is what he says. This is in his article. And it is really unfair of her to hit him on this. First of all, even if we could no longer hope to be saved from two degrees of warming, there's still a strong practical and ethical case for reducing carbon emissions. In the long run, it probably makes no difference how badly we overshoot two degrees. Once the point of no return is past, the world will become self-transforming. In the shorter term, however, half measures are better than no measures. Halfway cutting our emissions would make the immediate effects of warming somewhat less severe. It would somewhat postpone the point of no return. The most terrifying thing about climate change is the speed at which it's advancing. Absolutely, hallelujah. The almost monthly shattering of temperature records. If collective action resulted in just one fewer devastating hurricane, just a few extra years of relative stability, it would be a goal worth pursuing. I would ask Dr. Marvel, where in that does Franson depart from what she's saying? He goes on to say, keep doing the right thing for the planet, yes, but also keep trying to save what you love, specifically community, an institution, a wild place, a species that's in trouble, and take heart in your small successes. Any good thing you do now is arguably a hedge against the hotter future, but it, the really meaningful thing is that it's good today. Haven't I been saying the same thing? As long as you have something to love, you have something to hope for. Now, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's saying just, you know, uh, get in your basement and hoard your food and your guns and wait for the end of the world. He's not saying that at all. And I'm going to, you know, I don't, again, I don't care if she's climate. I'm going to call her out on that. Because for the, for, for the rest of us who believe that it is too late, but we also believe, I still plant a tree. I still try and mitigate where I can with, with people that I know. I try to get them ready psychologically. I do my part. A lot of people are doing their parts. It's, it's drawing a lot of people closer. And, and yet we're told we can't say that it's probably going to happen. We're told to shut up. No, don't be a doomer. Shut up. Climate scientists are giving us all these reasons, except the sociological and human nature reasons, which we can add on our own, and then two and two make four for those of us who are paying attention, and we say, well, I guess that's it. It's too late. No, shut up. You can't say that. We can't have people, we can't have people panicking. We can't, have, we can't, we can't hurt the stock market. We can't hurt uh, you, you know, people's hopes and dreams. We can't have people just... just 
stop producing and consuming. <laughs> it's just funny. It's Kate's kind of making the um, the same case the government would be making. No, 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 people. Just everything's going to be just fine. We're working on the problem. Whatever you do, don't quit your job and move to the mountains or you know keep producing and consuming keep working keep paying your taxes until we figure something out well you know what a lot of people figured out that's horseshit but it doesn't mean we're not doing anything about it that's positive and productive so does that make sense if it doesn't make sense write a comment for heaven's sake if you're listening and you don't agree with this well seriously write a comment let me know we can have an argument Anyway, I met up with the other climate scientists, and I said, look, let's just agree to disagree. You're nice, I'm nice. I'm, not, I'm just saying that I think it's irresponsible of her to write something like that, attacking somebody who has a point of view that's actually a whole lot closer to hers, to Kate Marvel's, than she may admit. But I think she was upset because <laughs> he was referencing Scientific American, and I don't know, it just... Climate denial is a whole other thing. Let me stop and just say, you know what? They're, they're putting doomers on the same level as climate denialists. That's wrong. At least we recognize that the climate scientists, this climate science is real. A climate change is real. Okay? We may disagree that it can be stopped at this point. You know, there are scientists on both sides of the equation, and there are scientists who won't say that because then their work is in vain. If you're a scientist, do you want to come out and say, everything we're doing right now is, is wonderful, but it's going to ultimately fail? That's your whole life's work. I get that. I get that denial. I understand that. But don't, but don't get in Scientific American, which should really have thought twice about publishing this, and tell people who don't agree with your airy-fairy ideas of miracles to tell us to shut up. You defend your belief that some miracle is going to pull our ass out of the fire, okay? Until that time, we'll leave it at that. All right. This is Keith Gottschalk. This is Last Dance. And again, I will be in New York. It is Saturday afternoon, climate strike in lower Manhattan. I will be there on YouTube. We'll be going live, and I hope to bring those of you who follow me and will be watching on YouTube some words from Greta Thunberg. I'm sure there'll be other speakers as well that'll have interesting things to say. You and I will witness history together. And I will try and get something up, some kind of commentary, uh, if I can, from the hotel room later on. If not, you'll at least have that, and we'll talk the week after. So... All right. And that'll be it for today. So if you're going to have an apocalyptic song, at least make it bouncy. Donald Fagan and Steely Dan. Do your shopping at the last mall. Really, things are going. We're going to be down to only a handful of malls anyway. Anyway, take care of each other, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>